You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Happy Tuesday to all of you. Thank you for joining me for tonight's live stream. I'm very excited for tonight's topic. It's actually a topic I've been wanting to do for like two years from before the pandemic. The night has finally come. I'm very excited uh, to bring you this conversation tonight. Um, and But first, Bob says I should explain my shirt. <laughs> this is from our friend Kevin McNary's ministry called Every Black Life Matters. You can go check out the podcast we did with him last February um, in 2021 about his ministry and uh, working in the black community for uh, non-Marxist uh, solutions to problems. So go check out Kevin's ministry, Every Black Life Matters. Um, so I'm going to be talking to an old friend tonight uh, from my high school youth group. <laughs> I think we last saw each other in person when Ronald Reagan was president. <laughs> this is how old we are. Um, but 30 years later, um, here we are still slugging it out for the kingdom of God, each in our own unique ways. I'm going to be talking to my friend, Amy Elliott, who has been working in church ministry for over two decades. Uh, some of it in youth ministry, most of it in women's ministry. And we're going to be in particular focusing on her experience in women's ministry tonight. And the reason I wanted to have her on is partly because of her ministry experience, but also because of her very balanced and biblical sensibilities about women's ministries. In the last few years, I've been having increasing concerns about women's ministries becoming kind of a backdoor to progressive theology coming into local churches and Amy and I have had some informal chat conversations. I would ask her for her opinion about different things. And I always found her answers to be very thoughtful and insightful. And so, like I said, I've been wanting to have her on for a couple of years to explore this issue and find out more of her thoughts about what she's seen um, out in front and behind the scenes from working in women's ministries over the years you know, she's a regular person, just um, has been working in local church contexts. She's not a big platform person. She's not a big published author. But I think she's representative of most women's, most women who are working in that capacity. They're just regular people. They're, and they're trying to find their way and they're trying to figure out how to minister to these women who often have been so heavily influenced by postmodern and progressive sensibilities, how to shepherd them, how to guide them into a biblically faithful um, understanding of their faith. So I think it's going to be a good conversation. I also want to invite you to add your voice. You can engage with us on the chat box on YouTube. We are live and I will stop periodically to check the comments and um, we'll respond to relevant questions. So feel free to ask those there. Hello, Jeremy and Susanna and Lauren. Great to have you. I want to say thank you to Jennifer and Alicia and Allison for jumping on tonight on helping me moderate the chat. I really appreciate it. Um, hey, Amy. 
glad to see you here and everybody. It's just gathering the family around so we can talk about it. Men, while you're there, make sure to um, hit the thumbs up and share this stream with someone. Um, and make sure if you're on YouTube that you're subscribed, that you're still subscribed, that you, YouTube hasn't helped you unsubscribe. And make sure that you hit that notifications bell so that you'll know whenever we go live. So uh, let's bring Amy on here and say hello. Hello, Amy. Hello. <laughs> How so fun it is to see your face. <laughs> I feel the same way about you. It's been a long time <laughs> since Ronald Reagan, so. Uh, yeah, I know. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> We're so old. I know, but it's, you know, it's, it's been fun. We've, we've uh, been connected on social media for many, many years uh, because we did grow up in the same youth group together. And so there's kind of a, a group of us that are all still kind of on social media and follow each other. And, um, but I think that, you know, it's just fun to be able to watch you from afar. We belong to some um, mutual Facebook groups. So sometimes I see your posts and I see things that you say, and I always find your, your posts very helpful and insightful. And so I think it's just going to be a good for us to have a little chat and, um, share some things. Maybe you can, we can start by having you give us kind of an overview of ministry. Like, you know, how did you start in women's ministry? How long did you serve? And, and that kind of a thing. Sure. Well, I feel like um, church has been part of my life literally since I was born. My dad was a pastor when I was younger, and um, I just have always loved church. Um, church is far from perfect, and we've I'm sure I'll all experience that because it's a bunch of humans and sinners, but um, always loved ministry. Uh, Krista and I together were part of an amazing youth ministry that was really formative for me, um, and really fed my hunger to serve in ministry myself. It was actually our old youth pastor, Ron. I remember sitting in his office one day saying, I really want to be in ministry, but I mean, this was 1990, 1991, maybe just a couple years ago. And, uh, and I was like, I love youth ministry. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, you know, Amy, it's teachers that get all the time with the kids and excuse me. <coughs> Well, I feel your pain. <laughs> it's not starting. It's not starting. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I actually pursued, uh, I taught high school for a few years and loved that. Um, but then uh, after a while, my pastor asked if I would be willing to come on staff and serve. I would be doing some youth ministry, some women's ministry and jumped at that chance. And I was on staff there for about 18 years and then took a position in Central Oregon and was there for another year and a half and then COVID hit and everything went crazy. But uh, um, I love, I, I never pictured myself enjoying women's ministry. Um, I was kind of the, I felt like in high school and even college, I was everyone's, all the guys, I was the, the little sister and I was just comfortable with guys and guys were easier and guy friends and all those things. And then um, at some point I had to grow up and realize I'm a woman, like I have to have women <laughs> friends and all those things. Yeah. And, um, and really as, as the girls in my youth group got older, the girls that I had discipled and, and been in Bible study with, um, they were getting married and having kids, their issues were changing. And I wanted to be able to serve them as they were getting older and I was yeah. getting older too. So, um, it just seemed like a really natural 
progression and I wound up loving it. I, I still love women's ministry today so much. So, yeah. So you were at that same church for 18 years and then ministering there and then it changed churches to central Oregon. Mm-hmm. You were there for about a year and a half. Now you're living in Wyoming. We'll talk about that at the end, what ministry looks like for you now. But um, I remember even during COVID, like you were trying to find creative ways of reaching your women, doing little short videos on social media and trying to figure out like, how do I stay in touch with my people? How do I keep shepherding? How do I, you know, become, uh, you know, stay engaged with them? And it's, it's just, we've lived through some, some definitely some challenging times uh, the last couple of years and, and what ministry has looked like. Um, I think that for, for many people, there's a growing question of even whether or not women's ministry is a legitimate ministry in the life of a local church. Like there are some streams of American Protestant, right? Protestantism right now that are like, you know, maybe we don't even need a women's ministry. Like that's not even a thing. So um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about how you see women's ministry in having a role in, in the life of a local church? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there's a one size fits all for any kind of ministry. I think that the size of the church, the location of the church, the denomination of the church, um, even just the socioeconomic situation of families and individuals in that church, it's going to, it's going to require different needs be met, but, uh, women are half the church, right? And, and the idea of ministry is serving. So are we, are we serving women well in the church and are we serving men well in the church? I know that's not our topic of discussion for tonight, but um, I think it is an integral part of what the church should be doing. And, and, and again, there could, I mean, now I went from a mega church to now my church is 50 people. So there's some differences. Um, women's ministry looks really different here. It's a lot more organic. It's people getting together for coffee and talking and it's just some kind of natural friendships forming and discipleship happening. Um, and I know that there's everything in between those things. So I never want to, I would never want to come across as like, well, I have all the answers for you and what women's women's ministry should look like. But I do believe Um, it's an important thing. And I think that women today who are trying to live biblical, godly lives are facing pretty unique challenges as are men. Um, but I think it's, man, we're going to miss the boat if we don't reach out to them as a church and try to shepherd them through that as we're doing the same thing, you know? And I actually think COVID was like the great leveler, you know, because everyone figured out like pastors are struggling mental health professionals are struggling, you know, like everyone was having a hard time. And I think it kind of reminded us all, like, we're all trying to walk through some pretty new ground, you know, and navigating through that is, is tough and we need one another. And I think, um, I think the church has to, has to figure out what are the needs, what are our women walking through and how can we help them? Well, I think you're bringing up a really important point about service because, um, by acknowledging the fact that men and women are different, you know, that they're not the same. They don't have the same needs. Um, Now, obviously there will be some things that will be shared needs, um, but that 
we can acknowledge that men and women are, are different. God's made us different. You know, he's designed us differently. And so how do we um, reach those women, especially if they don't have husbands, you know, like, you know, your husband may be um, functioning in your home as providing a lot of discipleship and, and that sort of thing. But what about single women, especially single women who are in their thirties and forties and fifties, like they have needs. How do we service those things? So I think that those are some things to consider. And I'm also wondering what you see as, you know, well, and hopefully we'll get into this, but what comes to my mind is, is the importance of equipping women too, you know, in, in their gift and call and that that is another important aspect of the service. It should be a huge focus. Um, so since our church is so small, it's so funny. We have a midweek study and they call it a small group, but it's the only group. <laughs> so it's, it's our Bible study. And, um, but a few weeks ago, our pastor was sharing and he's just a down to earth guy. He actually pastors as a volunteer, which just blows me away. He's, he's a great Bible teacher. And, um, he really blesses me, but he was talking about his role as a pastor. And he was saying, it's just a role. You know, there are so many roles within the church. There's so many gifts that you guys have. And he said, my job isn't to Lord over anybody. You know, my job is to equip you guys to get out there and use your gifts. And I had to hold back tears in Bible study because I was like, that is just so right on. And it's so, um, it's just kind of coming back in my mind to the heart of the church and the heart of those roles within the church that yeah. it should be an equipping ministry. You know, it shouldn't be, and the, and the, and the women's ministry should reflect that as well. It shouldn't be a couple of women. Um, they have their lives all together. Everyone should aspire to be like these ladies. And, you know, like it should be a bunch of women. It should be an army of people working together. This person's amazing at hospitality. This person loves to organize this, per whatever those gifts are, um, you know, we should be doing the hands-on thing, but also just equipping women in their faith, equipping women to have their own walk with the Lord, understand the word, feel confident in it, be growing in that and nurturing that abiding relationship with Jesus. That's, I mean, that's the most important way we can equip with anybody, right? Whether it's yeah. men, women, our kids, our youth, whatever. So equipping has to be a core aspect of that. It reminds me um, of Ephesians 4, you know, where the people with certain gifts are there for the equipping of the saints. And I think, you know, we can have a conversation about offices. I always like to differentiate between offices and spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. Like spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4 and, and in 1 Corinthians 12, those are not based on a person's gender. Like there aren't spiritual gifts for women or spiritual gifts for men. Rather, the purpose of the local church or one of the purposes is for equipping everybody to walk in their spiritual gifts, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, we can have the conversation about offices, you know, whether or not you know, men, it is appropriate for men only to be pastors, which is the view that I hold. But, you know, that there's still freedom in that Ephesians 4 world of equipping the saints and, and walking, having people walk in their gifts. So from in, I guess if Amy ruled the world, I mean, I'm wondering like what some of those core principles would be of a healthy women's ministry. You know, I'm, I'm, 
think I think I'm hearing what you're saying as part of that is equipping the saints is you know helping women to walk in their spiritual gifts. Uh-huh. That would be a huge part. I love um I love the idea of I mean if you you mentioned Ephesians 4 and that passage playing itself out talks about how then it leads to unity in the body and in our knowledge of Christ and into and into maturity um, until we attain the fullness of Christ. I can't even wrap my mind around what the fullness of Christ would mean in my life. I want to aspire to that more and more each day and experience that. But I love, I love how that plays out with women and men walking in their gifts. And there's also just, um, just the idea of basic discipleship. Um, and, and again, that gets back to, are you, do you know how to study the Bible? Do you know what the mm-hmm. Bible says? You know, getting back to the just spiritual, I mean, biblical literacy, um, that would be another huge aspect of it, which ties into, which I'm sure we'll get into later, the progressive Christianity backdoor that, you know, that you mentioned, um, but also just um, teaching women how to have a personal walk with the Lord. I really base a lot of my philosophy on the spiritual life in general on John 15 and just that we are to abide in Christ. His word is to abide in us. We're to abide in his love. There's this, this ongoing breathing in and out kind of relationship. And the result is fruitfulness. Um, the result is a fullness of life. You know, all these things that we, we try to go get first, you know, without doing the abiding. And so I love that, that idea too, because, um, and I might be getting ahead of myself, but I feel like in my own life, uh, just having a walk with the Lord year after year, after year, after year, at some point you can't walk away from him. You know, it's, it's like when Jesus says like, Hey, are you leaving too? Are you going to walk away? And Peter's like, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. And I feel like if a woman tends her walk with the Lord faithfully through ups and downs, especially in the downs, God's just so faithful at some point that you're like, i I don't have any other option. Like I would never walk away. And, you know, that's just probably saving. I'm getting it. Like I said, I had it myself, but um, the other, probably the last aspect I would want to include if I ruled the world would be um, that Titus two model. Um, When you mentioned the single women in the thirties, forties, fifties, that's me. And I remember, um, I remember when going to a retreat one time, I was like trying to be brave. I had just gone through a pretty terrible divorce. I was, I think I was 29. Um, and I went to this retreat and these women were sweet women, but I was, I was the only one there. Like no one knew me. And so I would sit at a table and they'd be like, well, hi, what's your name, Amy? Well, are you married? No, (laughs) I'm trying to keep it together. Like, well, do you have kids? No, you know, and, and, and I was, I was just barely hanging on by a thread and they didn't have anything else to talk about. And I was like, ah, you know, and I just always think back to that time with, um, with such a focus sometimes on being a wife and a mom. And that's not to discount those things because I know those are huge roles and they need help. And Titus two talks about that. Titus two talks about the older women teaching the younger women, Um, you know, to be reverent, to be pure, to love their husbands, to love their children, to keep their homes, all these things. But it also says that the older women are to teach the younger women what is good. And that encompasses a lot, you know? And so that mindset of having 
older women, and I think it's sometimes just older women in the faith even, but older women coming alongside younger women and just being there, you know, um, it could be an official mentorship that you head up. It could just be a friendship that you strike up. I, I grew a lot with um, even women I babysit for. They dragged me along to the mall or to wherever. And I've just, you know, I just soaked up from them just being around them. So there's so yeah. much that you can do that's very unofficial, but I do feel like um, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can focus on that doesn't um, make people feel ostracized that might not fit into that. I'm a wife and a mom role, you know, and, yeah. um, and truly, you know, I had friends that, you know, when mother's day rolled around, they'd go hiking. They couldn't even come to church cause it hurt so bad, you know? So I just feel like we have to be mindful. You know, there are widows that are, that have just lost their spouses and there are just people that are in all sorts of different places of pain that, um, you know, it's, it's not the Donna Reed show <laughs> that we have. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just realizing that people are in a lot of different places, I think, as we, as we seek to serve them. So. so what I hear you saying and all that is, for you, women's ministry looks like a few different things. One is equipping people to walk in their spiritual gifts. Another component is discipleship, which involves really teaching women you know, how to do sound Bible study, how to, to know what they believe, but also a third component is that personal relationship with the Lord and, and, you know, that helping them grow those, those disciplines of really being with the Lord, but then also forth having an intergenerational component where there is sowing from one generation to, to the next. So that's kind of what I'm hearing, you know, if, if, as, as you're thinking about women's ministry and what you've seen, you know, those are kind of the, 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 the ingredients that, you know, you've kind of thought about it as, as being important pillars. But I think that you also bring up a very important point about women who are in non-conventional seasons of life, you know, like, a young widow or like a woman who has had to um, get a divorce because of an abusive marriage or, you know, <clears throat> single moms that um, I have a, I have a friend who um, had three very young children and her husband got arrested and convicted of a crime, went to jail and, you know, it was, it was devastating for her. And there she was with three kids and she didn't fit the, the mold of women's ministry. So I'm wondering like what your reflections are of what you think, what you wish maybe was different about how a lot of women's ministries are done. Yeah. I think that some of it's just even training women um, just to have their eyes open and their ears open Um and again, you know, because, you know, the part I left out about that retreat is I left in the middle of the retreat and cried all the way home. And the irony is that I was like, I am never doing another women's ministry thing with that church ever again. <laughs> and that's where I wound up working. So, um, you know, the Lord has a way of healing and all that. But I think that um, I think having that mindset of meeting people right where they are, you know, I grew up 
in an era um, and probably being a pastor's kid didn't help any, but I had an idea of what a Christian woman should look like, you know? And, um, and then I went through my own crisis in my own life. And I went through my thirties and forties and, and now 50 um, as a single woman. And, and that wasn't the script for my life, you know, and there was, I, for me, because of my own pain, I had a different set of eyes for women that were walking in, in pain, you know? And so I think, um, I think some of it is maybe shedding the ideas that we might've had growing up about, um, the people that are walking in church, you know, I, I remember one time talking to this woman and I was like, well, how'd you wind up at church? You know, how'd you wind up coming to the Lord? And she, she said, well, I was a stripper and I was living with this guy and his, her, his mom kept inviting us to church. And I was like, the church will catch on fire if I walk in the doors. And she said, one day she finally decided to come to church. And she said, I looked for my loosest tight top and my longest mini skirt. And, and I, I got dressed to come to church and I got saved that day. And I, she's in my mind a lot when I think about, you know, like people that get worked up, like, well, did you see what she was wearing or something? And, and I just think if we, if we take off that nonsense about like the churchy filter and, and look kind of going back to the way that Jesus looked at people, Jesus, Jesus was a, man who was moved with compassion so much. He, he acted with compassion. He, the people were, they would marvel over his gracious words. And he was very comfortable with people that didn't have their act altogether. And my hope would be that church in general would be a place where people feel really welcome just to come as they are. Um, but I hope that women's ministry would be a place where people would feel really comfortable bringing their neighbor that's not saved, that's dealing with this addiction or, or whatever it is, but realizing like we live in a different world today. And um, man, if, if God has been gracious enough in our lives to do some, some healing work and some redemptive work, I hope that we would be excited about having people that, that don't know him yet, that are so in need of him, that are in different places in, of pain to feel so welcome, you know, yeah. and so loved and seen as they walk in the doors. Um, I, so, I, but I what, what I kind of hear you saying there is earlier, one of the first things you said is there's no one size fits all women's ministry. But I think a corollary to that is there's no one type of woman, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's a lot of different women. And I think that sometimes women's ministries tend to target almost one kind, one or two kinds of women, you know, like older women or married women with children, like it's very niche, but then there's, it, it can get a little bit tricky of, you know, well, how do we, I hate this word, but you know, like, how can we widen it and make it more inclusive? <laughs> like, how do we widen, cast that net for the welcome mat for a lot of different kinds of women but um you know one of the things that you you said you know before we went on the air that i really want to bring out here is and then we're going to go to some questions because there's some great comments coming in is you know one of the things you wish different was different about women's ministries is you know um there's kind of this one side of the road where people get turned off certain women get turned off by 
women's groups that are overly emotional, you know, and then there's kind of the sad stereotype about women who gossip. And that's also a difficulty. So, you know, I think that we have to acknowledge that there are some pitfalls out there. I don't know if you want to highlight any other potential pitfalls. Yeah, I love that. I think, um, I mean, other women have struggled with this, I hear. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Our desire to control, you know, there, there are a lot of stereotypes, but typically stereotypes exist for a reason. <laughs> and so they're not always correct. They don't catch everyone. But, you know, I think a lot of women struggle with letting go of control, whether it's um, of kids, of a spouse in our workplace, whatever it is, um, the remote control. Uh, but, and, and gossip, I, I, I would even say bigger than gossip is just our tongues. Um, there are a lot of places in scripture where it specifically talks about the damage that women can do with their tongues. And it's not just gossip. It could be harsh words. Um, I think that, I think there's a balance of being realistic about what women tend to struggle with um, without demeaning women in the process. Like, well, women are just gossips. So they can take a backseat at church, you know, and cause I think that's equally damaging. Um, but I, I do think, um, you know, and even our emotions, you know, I think our emotions are a God given gift. I think that God has given women sensitivity and compassion, um, that is to be used for his kingdom, for his glory, for the good of one another. The world would be a pretty terrible place without that. But we can use those, you know, we can be led and ruled by our emotions as well. So learning how to, you know, for all of those things, it's finding that the middle of that pendulum swing, like, how is this trait? How can I use it to honor God? I see where I can use it for my flesh, but, um, you know, where, where can I use this? How has God wired me as a woman to add to his kingdom? You know, and so I would hope that a women's ministry could be really honest about those things because I've seen it. Um, I've seen it happen where women are dismissed um, because of maybe the propensity of all women, if that makes sense, you know, to, to gossip. So we shouldn't include women in this, you know, and that's, it's not godly, you know, cause you could do the same thing with men. Well, all men are this way. So I, that's just, that's divisive and it's not even truth. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a distortion of, um, the way that God hardwired us in his image. And so I think that we should be honest and still tread carefully where, where we deal with those things, but women are still valued and, and our hardwiring is valued. Well, well let's go out and uh, take a look at a few questions here that are coming in. Bob's going to help us go to the chat. Um, let's see. Uh, Nikki is asking, what are the biggest differences between mega church women's ministries and small church women's ministry in terms of discipleship and connection? I mean, a mega church, typically speaking, is going to have a ton of resources. Usually, you know, there are, there's, there's money, More money? There's staff money is a big thing. It's, it really is. Um, there's staff, there's all the Bible study resources, you know, whereas in a smaller church, um, it might be women that are having to, you know, pull together the money to buy their Bible study book each quarter. And they're, they, you have to be mindful of that, you know, so that's 
one part is being mindful of that um, and being sensitive to that. Um, and, in, and I don't think it has to cost a lot of money. Let me just say that. But I would say that in a mega church, it really depends on, and I only know my experience at the church I was at, um, is there a focus on, um, on the fellowship part and the community aspect? Uh, I think a lot of churches, big or small, just have different flavors. Um, I've been part of churches where they're all about outreach and every single person that goes to that church is trained to be welcoming and they're warm and we're so excited that you're here, you know, um, and that, I don't think that matters whether it's a small church or a big church. Um, I, there have been other churches that well, we're very much about Bible study. So when you come here, you're going to study God's word. We're going to be focused on God's word. And you kind of know what to expect almost from the flavor of the, the larger church. Um, so I think it kind of depends. And again, this, I'm just speaking to my experience, but I think it kind of depends on the flavor and the focus of that church. Um, if they're, if the larger church is focused on discipleship, I feel like that's going to come naturally in women's ministry and be a fruit of that. If the larger church is focused on, man, we're all about a community. We want you to fellowship. We want you to be seen and known. And again, your people are going to be trained to reach out and to, to, to do that with the people that walk in the door of a small Bible study or church on Sunday or whatever. So I hope yeah, I think the, the resources issue is a big one because, yeah. you know, mega churches will have more resources, but they'll also have um, staffing like to help with graphics and they'll have a web team to help with event promotions. Whereas in small churches, it's going to be much more of the person in charge kind of hustling to figure out, you know, how they're going to promote their event and getting people to come and figure out resources. How do we get a speaker if we want to do a women's event and all of that? So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, it's it's good for us to to think about though, like that. I really like your point that the women's ministry is probably going to end up reflecting whatever the larger culture is of the church, whatever the larger DNA is of that church. That's not something that I've thought about before. So that's that's an, a, a really interesting point um, mm. to reflect on. Um, let's just look at a couple more comments here. Um, let's see. Especially in, let's see, a complementarian church, women's ministry is important. One reason is because in some gifts women have are expressed in that setting when they would otherwise be stilted. Yeah. I mean, I think the women's ministries can offer, you know, the potential for, um, women to, to use our gifts to help teach each other in that context. Um, all right. A lot of good comments. People are really engaging um, the subject. All right. Great. Oh, Kaylin says, I struggle with getting my younger women to do the homework for Bible studies. So getting them to dig into the Bible more directly seems to be a non-starter. It has been very discouraging. Uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. So I, um, I was a part of, we did a model for a while at, at a church that I was a part of where our women's ministry director was going through the study with a team of leaders. And then the following week, the leaders would go through it with their small groups. 
and it was, it was a great model. I liked it. And, um, but there was one woman who was kind of saying the same thing. Like I have these, she was, uh, discipling some young life girls and she's like, they're just not taking their Bible study seriously, you know, and this other leader chimed in and she's like, they just don't love Jesus enough. And I was like, that's a bold thing to say, you know, and it just, it kind of took me off guard, but I gave it a long time to think about it. And she's right. I, I think that there is a progression. I think that I didn't love the Lord as much at 20 as I do today. And it's because I have 30 years of walking with him since then, you know? So I think that there's a starting place for people and even if you feel like you are beating your head against a wall and it's not doing anything, it's doing something. I would encourage you in that first of all. And, um, and I think as they see you continually walking with the Lord and they see you with your quiet time and being faithful in that year after year after year, you're leaving a mark on them, whether they're ready to really dig in on their own quite yet or not. Um, of course, our hope is that they, start to dig into the word because once you do, you hunger for more of it. And we know that, and we want other people to experience that, but I would just say, stay faithful and keep encouraging them. And if, if it's too much for them right now, maybe if there's a way to break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces, um, I would say that anything is good. You know, anything that, that gets women to open up the word and feel a little bit more comfortable than they did a month ago or six months ago or a year ago, you're still building something. And I know it's discouraging. Um, I remember really struggling with that, especially in youth ministry, thinking like, you guys, if you just did this, everything would be so much better. But I was saying that, you know, in my thirties, I wasn't 17 anymore, you know, and, um, and kind of forgetting, like, we all start at a place of immaturity in our walks with the Lord. And so what you're doing by pouring into these girls and continuing to encourage them um, you're being faithful and, and God is the one that brings about the fruit and the Holy spirit is at work in their lives, you know? And so I would, I would encourage you not to give up. I know it's discouraging though. Um, and I do think what a great word. Yeah. And there's a ton of, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, there's a lot of comments about women's ministry and fluff, which is what we're going to get to in this next section. Yeah. But first I want to say a quick word um, and give Amy a, a chance to rest her voice a little bit. She's a little under the weather, but we're, she's, she's, um, you know, we didn't want to, uh, cancel. So I'm going to give her a, a minute to rest her voice, but I did want to take a quick minute to talk about my friend, Natasha Crane's new book, uh, faithfully different. And, um, it's coming out very soon. It's available right now for pre-order, but if you are a Christian, uh, especially if you're a Christian parent, but not only a Christian parent. I mean, it's really not geared. This is her first book that's not geared specifically for parents. Um, and you're kind of feeling like you're feeling a little lost in how to live in a world that suddenly seems like it's lost its mind. This is the book for you. This is an amazing, clearly written, understandable, accessible book written for um, normal people in everyday language on how to live uh, as a biblically faithful Christian in the midst of a hostile culture. Um, and this is not some superficial three-point strategy book. This is like a handbook for understanding the cultural moment 
and then getting proactive in your own faith and in your engagement. And what I really want to highlight is that it is available right now in pre-order, which helps Natasha um, with um, getting the word out because then Amazon will kick it up higher on the day that it's released uh, based on her pre-sale numbers. But she's including an amazing bonus right now. If you pre-order, you can go to natashacrane.com slash faithfully-different, which Bob's got it on the screen there if you're on video. But if you pre-order right now, you're going to get the audiobook for free. And the audiobook is read by Natasha, the author. So you can find out all the details and how to take advantage of that amazing offer. Just go to natashacrane.com and you can find out all of that. But go get Natasha's book. We'll probably do a book club on it. Uh, in the spring uh, for Center for Biblical Unity. It, it is amazing. It is literally the book that I would have loved to have written, but I'm not as good of a writer as Natasha. Like, she just kills it. And so, um, yeah, can't recommend it highly enough. So go check that out. Go to natashacrane.com and get, get the book and get the audiobook for free. I can't believe that. That's like the best pre-order deal I've, I've, I've ever seen. So, all right, hopefully uh, Amy's just been able to catch her breath there. Let's go back and pick up this conversation because there are a lot of comments on the chat about a a concern that a lot of women have, that there's just so much fluff in women's ministries. And and, and this kind of brings me to my concern that women's ministry often becomes a backdoor to progressive Christianity coming into a local church. Do you see validity to, to that concern? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I do. Um, and that's become, I mean, I think you and I have even interacted more on social media about those issues. Um, and I think, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of friends and loved ones. Um, some of them just totally go down that path others kind of waffle that direction. So I, I kind of went into overdrive, just studying it. I wanted to be aware. I wanted to, um, I, I actually had to catch myself because my first gut response was you want to talk about like our sinful tendency to control. I wanted to control, like, you can't think that way. You can't believe this, you know, and that's a terrible way to reason with anybody. It doesn't work. So I, I spent a lot of time just trying to learn and, what I've observed, and again, this is just my personal experience, is I think that, again, looking at our God-given tenderness and sensitivity, I think that there are some hard issues in the Bible where God takes a hard line, and we know he's sovereign, we know he's all-knowing, we know he knows what is best for us, and that's what God's word is, but I think if you lose sight of God's goodness and you start to see people struggling in areas, wherever there's the LGBTQ issue there, it basically any sin issue there, it could be sex outside of marriage. It could be, um, it could, it could be a whole host of things where the Bible takes a stance and tells us what the right thing to do is, but we see someone hurting 
And if we're not grounded in scripture, and if we do not know God's nature, it's really tempting to, we want to explain away, well, the Bible really doesn't need, you know, like we want to, we, we want to soften it because yeah. we don't want people to be in pain. We don't like people to be in discomfort. Um, I even was really paying attention, you know, when Jen Hatmaker kind of made her departure that way, I was paying attention to the things that she was posting leading up to that. And she was seeing a lot of people in pain. And I really feel like that contributed to her departure and her, her heading down that road. And I think a lot of people have done that same thing because not because we're, they're like, I don't care about good theology, but because they see people hurting and they we're, can't we're moved their, by stories. Women we are, are moved, moved by, by, stories. by stories. We are people, people. Yeah. And, and our hearts hurt when someone else is, is in pain and yeah. we want to make that better. And that's a good thing. But I, I, I would say like the, the very, very, very bottom foundation of women's ministry of church in general has to be scripture. It has to be that God's word is our final authority, whether it's easy, whether it's hard, whether we agree with it, whether we disagree with it, God's word has to be the final authority. And I think that's where if a women's ministry, if the, if the fluff has been the focus, no one has any foundation in God's word. And yeah. you're absolutely susceptible to something that comes along and sounds softer, you know, yeah. well, Glennon Doyle says this and so-and-so says this and it's palatable and it doesn't hurt my friend. And it's, um, I just think it's really tempting uh, to be pulled into that by our tender hearts. If we do not use scripture as the absolute plumb line for everything. Do you think that there's an importance to in women's ministries of being under the leadership of a strong elder team, you know, that there is that, that leadership, because to me, biblically, what I see, one of the functions of an elder team at a local church, at a healthy local church. And, and unfortunately, I think sometimes elders are put in that position because they're doctors or they're business people or they're prominent people in the community, but they don't actually fit the criteria, the biblical criteria for an elder because Part of being an elder is being providing oversight. They're able to teach and they're providing doctrinal oversight for purity of within that local church. So if you, so I'm assuming we have elders that are biblically qualified. Do you, do you yeah. think that that performs an important role for the women's ministry? I think it's the initial service to women in the church is for men who are elders. And like you said, I totally agree with that. It's, it's not just, I agree with it. That's scriptural. And I, I, that aligns with where my heart is for sure. Um, you have these godly men who care for women and want to see women totally thriving in their walks with the Lord working alongside. That's the, that's the very first way they can serve the women in their churches, working alongside the women who will be leading women to make sure, Hey, is this, is this series that you want to do? Tell us about it. We, is it biblically based? Is it an author that aligns with our doctrine and our theology and, and supporting the leaders, you know, to, um, again, whatever we can be doing to grow women up in their knowledge of the word, it should start at that elder and leadership level within the church. And, um, and not just like signing off on something and letting it go. You know, I would right. say to, 
to stay in touch. How can we support the leaders? How, how is women's ministry going? What are women in the church dealing with? What burdens are they carrying? Can the men in the church come alongside and help with any of those things? Um, I think those, those leaders should always be working in tandem together. Absolutely. But again, even what you said about like having godly leaders instead of like, well, this guy's a good businessman. Let's go back to scripture first, you know, scripture needs to be the foundation for that as well. So, but I think too, like they're also, I'm wondering if you've seen this is one of my concerns is that many churches don't do enough to sow into future leaders, like training for leaders so that they know also, like if you have a bunch of, let's say you have a larger women's ministry, you know, at like my former church, you know, they have a good size women's ministry, but they have a lot of women leading the conversations that are great Christians, but they may not have had much training on how to detect the essentials of the faith or here we're starting to go into the doctrinal ditch, you know, like, do you think that there ought to be some amount of conversation and training even for those group discussion leaders on, you know, how to have some guidance on, on, on those kind of issues. A thousand percent. Yeah. I, so the youth pastor that we had growing up, uh, that we had him in common, Ron, uh, one of the things that I have always carried with me, he would always talk about, um, how you should always have a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy in your life. Um, have a Paul, you know, someone who's a little farther along than you in, in their maturity, their walk with the Lord, who can mentor you or disciple you. I'm like iffy on the mentor term, <laughs> but someone who's discipling you, someone who's farther along and who's pouring into you. A Barnabas, someone who's a peer who you can kind of like lock arms with and shoulder burdens together. And then do you have a Timothy? Do you have someone that you are sowing into to be that next leader, like Paul sowed into Timothy? And the reason I love that is, again, it reaches that multi-generational goal that I have. Um, But like at the last church where I was, where I was overseeing women's Bible studies is um, I spent a lot of time uh, choosing the women that would be leading those discussions, the small group discussions. And I would say, you know, we, we just aren't going to go down these roads. And I, I would kind of lay those things out, like before each evening, here are the potential things that could come up. We're not going to tackle that, you know, um, but also we are going to tackle this and here's why, and here's the scripture to support it. The other thing that I would do is I would always have two leaders together and I'd have an older woman and a younger woman. And I don't mean old, like everyone had to be an 80 year old and a 30 year old, but just, just people who were at different places in their walks with the Lord, but also in life. Um, I would have, you know, 20 year olds talking about TikTok, And if like, if my grandma were leading a group, she'd be like, what is that? You know, like people that can be relevant also culturally helps too. like just having different generations there um, is so, I just think it's so wise, but I, I do think there needs to be a concerted effort on the part of anyone who's in leadership in women's ministry to take on that ownership of, are you training the people who are going to be steering those discussions, do they feel comfortable saying, I, I just watched that and I like, it would make my heart skip a beat. I would listen to women leaders say, okay, well, let's see what the word has to say about that. You know, someone would bring up an idea that was totally off and wrong, but instead of saying you're wrong, 
you should feel shameful and stupid. You know, like they would be like, let's get back to what the Bible says. So let, you know, and, and I loved hearing that because again, if, if the thing that we hammer home over and over and over again is scripture is our foundation. Scripture is our ultimate truth. Then your leaders know to come back to that also. And any tangents, they're trained to gently, graciously bring people back to that, you know, or table it to talk about afterwards. And if it's too big, they come and get a leader or come, you know, like you can, you can deal with those things that are too, too big for them too. Because the other thing I think is so valuable is the ability to say, I don't know, you know, yeah, it's a great question. Theologians have been debating that one for hundreds of years. And I don't know, let's, let's see what the word has to say. So, right. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I think that's such a great strategy and I love the, the practical things you're sharing of, you know, this is how I did it. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Um, now I know that, you know, you and I, like I said earlier, belong to a couple of Facebook groups. So I know you're not like, you're not going to be standing up and teaching a class in apologetics. Like that's not your jam, but you appreciate apologetics. You, you appreciate the work of somebody like Elisa Childers or, you know, I know you follow my ministry and, and the Center for Biblical Unity. So you want to be conversant about a Christian worldview on contemporary issues. And you've, I perceive that you've put some, some effort into that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering how those tools have helped you in leading your women, you know, like, have you found that women are open to learning about these topics? Maybe you don't call it apologetics, but you say like, you know, here's a reputable ministry that addresses this topic or Mm -hmm. something, or how do you work in better Bible study methods as part of your strategy of discipleship? Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for those resources. And I think the thing And I kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, when progressive Christianity started to take off, um, if I'm being really honest, my first reaction was fear. I was terrified that um, friends or loved ones were going to walk away from their faith. Um, I was terrified about their salvation. Like I was just scared. And, um, and like, like a lot of us, my approach was how do I correct this? You know, how do I bring people back to the right way? And what I've seen in you so often, just in watching your dialogue and comments and um, just conversations you've had on your show, same thing with Elisa, is there has been so much grace and, um, and so much kindness. And, and even if it's someone that you, are your theology, your theology is just diametrically opposed. There's still so much love for the other person on the other end of that conversation or discussion or whatever that has ministered to me so much. And it's given me a lot of peace and a lot of freedom to, again, to read up on it um, with a different take, because I think when I was growing up, my view of apologetics was uh, very argumentative and it was something that people would debate Uh, where you're trying to bring someone around to your way of thinking. Um, And instead, what this beautiful, wonderful trend that I'm so thankful for, for these ministries that you mentioned, is that I think it's given women 
um, a place of, oh, I can understand where someone else is coming from. I can understand where this doesn't line up with the word. I can have a calm, loving, rational conversation where someone's going to walk away knowing that I still care for them and I respect them. And so that just that tone has been so freeing for me. And um, yes, I'm never going to teach a class on apologetics. I don't feel like uh, my mind is not a steel trap. I feel like I can't, <laughs> I can't recall things the way you guys can statistics or names or history. I'm like, Oh, once somewhere I read this, you know, but, um, but it has helped me recognize, you know, like, no, this does line up with the scripture that I know. This does line up with the Bible that I love. This does mirror God's image and I know his character, you know? And so for yeah. me, it's actually freed me up that I don't have to be, you know, a stellar intellect to, um, to be able to converse about those things. And, um, and the other thing it's really freed me up with is, recognizing the role of the Holy spirit. You know, um, I think if someone has walked with the Lord and has gotten tempted down this road, there are a lot of ways that we can lovingly speak to them, pray for them. That's their, I think our best weapon lovingly just interact with them, but also God's Holy spirit is not going to quit at work, being at work in that person's heart and in their lives. And it's, I think it's given me more confidence in the work of the spirit too. Um, just, just knowing that I can be ready to talk about those things. I can be equipped to talk about those things, but I notice the most when I'm in prayer, when I'm filled up with the spirit myself, I just feel confident that he, he's at work in all of that. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like that was a clumsy answer, but, but really the no, way that you, Lisa have, you guys have just, um, change the tone of those conversations. And I appreciate Well, I think the rise of women being in the realm of apologetics has provided a different, um, I don't want to say balance. I think it's just different. I think that, you know, women, it was not that we're using uniquely women arguments. It's, it's the same arguments. It's just that, like we said earlier, men and women are different. Uh, a lot of men don't mind like, kind of having a little bit of difficult banter, like, and, and that's cool. Like if that's how God's made you, even if you're a woman and that's how God's made you, like that's, there's no shame in that. You know, Paul went to the synagogue over and over again in the book of Acts and he marshaled his case and, and he got into discussions with people about, about the evidences. God bless those people. But I think that in the last five years or so, the rise of more and more women apologists like Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers and and myself and, and others, and even just the whole entity of women in apologetics, I think that we are carving out our own unique voice of how women can participate in, in apologetics conversations, but also bringing our own unique topics to the table. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like Elisa is doing such important work on progressive Christianity, but that's an error that not to say men don't get entangled with it, but it seems disproportionately to affect women. And it, it is a huge problem in a lot of evangelical churches. And when women start posting quotes from Glennon Doyle and Jen Hatmaker, you know, like, 
I, I guess my question for you is, would you encourage more women's ministry leaders to start to be more conversant about some apologetics? Like, do you see that that could be of value to them? Well, the, the day and age that we live in now is social media driven, you know, and you have to have been living under a rock if you don't know Jen Hatmaker and Glennon Doyle and all these people, you know, and, um, and I think, I think any women's ministry leader or, and I don't mean when I say leader, I mean, anyone who's leading in women's ministry, not, it doesn't have to be your job. You don't have to be a paid staff person, but I think you are missing a huge, huge swath of the women and what they're being fed day in and day out on social media and the forces that are just the, the loudest voices. And again, and I, I really have a heart for Jen Hatmaker. Actually, I still, I pray for her often because she is lovable. She's delightful. She's funny. She's and an amazing and communicator. She is. She's an incredible writer. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to be her friend. Anybody would, you know? And so you have these winsome personalities who have gone sideways in some really key essential doctrines, but those are the women that your women are listening to. Exactly. You know, on the flip side, now we're so blessed with, with these ministries that can help you not just counter, but um, lovingly counter. I think, you know, just, I, I remember being in a Bible study one time talking about Glennon Doyle actually. And, um, this woman had tears in her eyes and she was sitting in the back row and she raised her hand. Cause I was, I was saying, you know, here are the risks and here are the pitfalls and the dangers of this theology and things like that. And this woman raised her hand and she's like, I was in such a deep pit of depression. Glennon Doyle's book is the only way I got out of bed for the last year. And I had to stop and think, I'm glad God used something, you know, redemptive that I'm glad that this woman got out of bed, but I had to stop and think that has been a major voice in this woman's life for a year, you know, and I don't want to be like, oh, well, you know, put that book away. You should, you know, and so to be gentle, but also to be speaking the truth, you know, I just think um, we have a ton of resources. I mean, I'm excited to get my hands on that Natasha Crane's new book, but we have a ton ton, a ton of resources in every way, social media, books, audiobooks, podcasts, yeah. podcasts. I could l- listen to podcasts the rest of my life and have so much good stuff. But if we, if we bury our heads in the sands about, um, what, what the kind of the, is getting a lot of airtime in women's eyes and ears, it has to be that we are paying attention to those things. Yeah. I think for me, like my struggle and, and I, I have struggled, I'm just gonna be honest, like to get involved in women's ministries because I'm the more unconventional woman. You know, I, I like deep Bible study. I like deep conversation. I'd probably do well with a smaller group, you know, and I, I think that Monique has struggled with getting connected because she's single and you know, she's an older single woman and um, she's not close to being married, but, you know, she's just not in that season of life. And she thinks like, you know, where is the space for me? So, you know, different women come to it with different needs. And, and, you know, even though I'm kind of an intellectual, I need friends too. Like there's that, that 
common need for friendship and fellowship. I'm just wondering, and then we're, after this question, we're going to go out and we got a lot of more questions on the stream that I want us to try to address. But, you know, I'm just wondering, like, do you have thoughts for, for people like Monique and I, like what could women's ministries do some practicals of maybe opening up that welcome mat, you know, a, a little bit bigger for people like us? Well, I think, you know, like I shared showing up at that retreat where I didn't fit the mold of being, it was, it was a ton. It just, that season of the church was just a ton of young wives and new moms and things like that. And I didn't fit that. And it actually, at that point in my life, it hurt that I didn't fit that, you know? And so, um, Bibles, when, when the main women's Bible study was about loving your husband, I was like, well, I, there's no place for me here, which if you're a single woman, you don't need that feeling intensified. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I think that there, um, and again, I'm, I'm a hundred percent biased about all this just because of my own experience, but I really tried to focus on what are topics that we can study that we would all share in common, you know, whether it's going through a book of the Bible or, um, you know, some of my favorite studies that we did in the past was looking at the way Jesus interacted with women that, that applies to all women and you're getting into the word and it's still applicable to people's lives. If you're, if you're walk with the Lord for a long time, it's applicable. If you're brand new, you get to know what Jesus is all about. You know, there, there are so many things in the word that you can study that are common to all women and are the experience of all of us. You know, um, I think that um, if you, and again, I'm not trying to discount the importance of teaching women how to be good wives or how to raise their kids, but maybe those could be like the electives or the bonus Bible studies or something that's different, you know, but maybe for the main focus of a Bible study for all of the women of your church, for it to be something that applies to all of us. Is it how to share your faith? Is it, you know, how to pray to develop a prayer life? What does the Bible have to say about prayer? Um, Or how to study the Bible. That's my favorite. That has to, that has to be in there. I mean, that has to be something that women are always learning, you know, because if, uh, if you just, it's a, it's an intimidating book, you know what I mean? And, And I've been around it my whole life, you know, and, um, and I, I always want women to feel like no matter where you are in your walk, you're equipped to take a bite out of this, even yeah. if it's a verse, you know, um, I, personally, start- I think that's the most undertaught topic in women's mm-hmm. studies, but I'm, that's my bias because yeah. Yeah. I'm just passionate about teaching people, especially women, how to study the Bible, like basic Bible study methods. I did a class on how to really study the Bible and I had about 35 women in there and they were like, how come nobody's ever taught me this? Like, this would make the most amazing women's Bible study of really learning these tools. And I think, you know, that applies to every woman. So I like your strategy of like, mm-hmm. try to think about how, what is, are the needs of every woman? I, I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah. Let's go out to the I, comments here. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not super touchy feely either with strangers. I'm more of an introvert. And if I'm being forced into sharing my deepest, darkest feelings with strangers, I'm like, I'm out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want any part of that. I want to grow in those friendships. Like you mentioned, we want Christian friends. We want female friends, but 
I don't want to be forced into it, but give me a Bible study. And that stuff I feel like tends to happen anyway. So yeah, no, that's good. All right. Let's look at some comments here. Um, Alicia is asking, what is the best way to foster intergenerational women's ministry? You kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. I'm wondering, you know, do you, do you actually intentionally go to women and say like, Hey, you know, I, I see you as a potential leader, or would you consider becoming a leader? Like, do you, do you actually target people and, and approach them um, to, to bring them along and try to get them to then be sewing into each other? Oh, I do that shamelessly. Yeah. I'll totally <laughs> approach people. Yeah. Because I think, um, I think sometimes people can feel like, well, I'm not equipped or I am more of an introvert. I don't like talking in public where they'd be fine in a group of six women, but they don't feel like I'm not leader material, but you see their faithfulness in their walk with the Lord, or you see the way they've prayed for their prodigal son for, 20 Mm. years and there, you know, like you just see fruit in their lives and you're like, that is what I want the next generation of women to be picking up on. I want them to be picking up on the life that you live with the Lord. So I'll, I'll totally approach people, um, that might not volunteer. I, I never will pressure people though. I'm actually thrilled when people say no. Uh, I love that answer because I, I never want people to feel strong armed into serving um, it doesn't go well for anyone, I don't think, but I do want to give that opportunity. And it's been fun to see people that feel very ill-equipped, um, develop those really sweet relationships with younger women. And I, I, I love watching that. Cool. All right. Let's get another question here. Um, oh, this is from our friend, Jeremy. He, uh, is a leader in his uh, middle school ministry at his church. And uh, he's just so faithful with his students. Uh, he says, I'm a middle school Sunday school teacher. About half my students are girls. Is there anything I should do to especially encourage them to be serious about Bible study? I love that. I love that you care about that, Jeremy. Oh, that that makes me happy. I think especially in middle school, and heading into high school, it's really easy to, for girls to start getting attention by just being airheaded, even if they're really not, but acting that way and acting kind of silly and stupid and goofy. I mean, middle schoolers are goofy. There's no getting around that. But, but to, to treat those girls as equals as far as digging into God's word together, if you guys are studying something together, um, you know, alternating, making sure girls get called on them that you're, you know, like I, the fact that you care about that makes me think you probably already do that. And I love that that's your heart, but I would say really, um, affirming that in them too. When you see them stepping up, when you see them answering a question, um, to praise that, you know, and to really, to validate them, because again, another stereotype is that boys are going to be smart and girls are going to be pretty, you know, and, um, in middle school, I think they're in the just cesspool of, of that. And to to make them feel valued for their love for the Lord, the way they treat others and share Christ, or show Christ and share Christ. I think to just be affirming of those things that you see in them that are um, godly traits and studying the Bible is a huge one. I just, I love that you care about that. And um, that would be my, that would be my advice is just to really, call that out in them. Yeah. 
All right, let's go to Amy Burks. She said, I re- recently um, read through a guide for pastors explaining a popular women's gathering, and they base their belief on the Nicene Creed, yet many of their speakers lean woke or borderline progressive. How should pastors, leaders work through determining whether to stream a gathering for their church like that? That's a good question because that is kind of a popular practice in women's ministries of, you know, instead of taking a a whole group to an in-person conference, we'll do an in-person gathering here at the church and then live stream it and create an event. So, you know, vetting that, you know, is that something that we need to get our elders, our pastor involved with that? I, my own experience is that I would always, and it's tricky with technology (laughs) and I am challenged with technology, but um, I would always um, have someone who, who had a solid grasp on the word, someone I trusted biblically. um, They would screen each speaker. And um, the last, the last position I had we did this gathering twice and we had someone screening each session and there were sessions that we skipped because we were like, we're not on board with where they're going. And we would, we kind of built in some extra activities or discussion questions, or we'd plan a meal for that time, but we screened it all because um, I don't want to just carte blanche say, okay, I'm signing my name to all of these speakers and, um, and everything that they're going to say. And, and it's interesting. Sometimes there's a really reputable speaker and I'm like, I'm not down with what they just shared. It leans too far this way, or it's, it's the woke, you know, kind of mindset. And, and I just, I don't want to, if that's not the the point of the event, that's not what I want to do, especially if you have new believers, it's confusing for them. And, um, and again, there's so much, hopefully if you have women's ministry leaders that are grounded, there's so much you can be sharing that is solid that you can even supplement with that. But I would, I would screen it all. That's my. Yeah. What a great, what a great suggestion. I appreciate that. And because you do have to be careful. Monique and I are so careful about who we recommend, who we platform because new believers, young believers, people who are just learning, like they follow those people. And so you don't want to just be willy nilly with introducing people to, to other speakers and ministries. And that's what makes it so difficult. Like when, well, somebody was sound three years ago and now they're going down the woke hole. Um, I'm becoming increasingly more cautious. Like maybe I'll only recommend dead people. They can't, they can't change their position. Like it's, it's getting tough out there, but yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good strategy. So as we wrap wrap up, Amy, I'm wondering what you're doing now. Tell us what ministry looks like for you now that you're living in Wyoming and living in your own real life Hallmark movie. Like what, what are you up to? (laughs) Well, um, we have super slow internet. I'm hoping it's not messing up what we're doing here. No, you're okay. um, Okay, good. We're I'm out in the sticks. So I'm in Pinedale, Wyoming now. It's about 90 minutes south of Jackson Hole. I looked on a map because I thought, well, maybe I could go there and visit Amy. No, it's like in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So my town is smaller than my last two churches. (laughs) It's a tiny little town. I love it here so much. So I, um, I had been feeling after 
20 plus years of vocational ministry, I had been feeling more and more just a, a pull to be out in the world more and just being able to talk to people, befriend people, love people that wouldn't come into church quite yet. And, um, and it's, I just love how the Lord works on us over the course of our lives, but that became more and more of a burden. And then, um, about two years ago, I helped my brother and sister-in-law move to Wyoming. And honestly, when they told me they were moving to Wyoming, I was like, why would you do that? Because there's, I was just picturing brown and flat and ugly. And then we pull into this town and it's beautiful. And um, we're at the foot of the Wind River uh, mountain range. And, um, and, and also COVID was going on. And just the idea, especially as a single person, the idea of living close to family sounded really appealing. And uh, I'd kind of be able to scratch that itch of like, just just doing real life ministry out in the world and um, doing it as a volunteer. And I, um, so long story short, I wound up making the decision to move out here. And I, uh, I did some exploring. What does the town need? What don't they have yet? And um, so I opened a little shop that's half gifts. I really actually love gift giving and shopping. So this way I get a shop, but it doesn't cost me quite as much. And, um, and then the other half is, little mini donuts and coffee and people come and we have a little area where people like families will play games or friends will get together and just have coffee. And I love it. I love getting to know the regular people that are coming in. I mean, regulars, you know, not like regular people, we're all regular, <laughs> but, um, but just the getting to know people in town, but in the summer, it's a crazy t- tourist town. People are on their way to Yellowstone. So it's okay. Busy. Yeah. And then um, we have a lot of rodeo. It's a lot of cowboy cowboy mindset here. And so it's just a blast and I'm having so much fun. And a lot of it is just normal day-to-day work of running a business, which is a new thing, but a lot of it that, you know, it's amazing to me, the conversations you wind up being able to have with people, someone will come in in a vulnerable place. And I've, I've just been shocked at the things that they're willing to talk about. I've gotten to pray with people some and get to know other people in town and invite them to church. And so it's just, it's delightful and it's, it's not perfect. I've I've definitely have gone through, um, you know, moving from Portland to then bend to now Pinedale, that's some adjusting and then leaving so many friendships behind. There's been some moments of loneliness for sure. So I don't want to make it sound totally idyllic, um, but it's pretty great. So I'm happy. To well, I can tell you're having a good time on social media. Now, if an itinerant handyman shows up around <laughs> Christmas time, be sure to go on a date with him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I established he has to have a snow plow on the front of his truck and I'll probably be a goner for that. So that's right. <laughs> but he has to love Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Christian. Christian. Single handyman. Christian Hallmark. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for doing this with me, Amy. It's just been a blast. I think that uh, you've given us a lot of things to think about and I just really appreciate you hanging out with us and, and talking about these things. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing because I, like I said earlier, I'm not just trying to like blow sunshine in your ear. You really like your ministry, Elisa's ministry and, and so many others really have made the average person like myself feel not so intimidated by all the stuff that's going on in our culture and how do we remain steady and steadfast and gracious like I just am so moved by that and that's the kind of 
that's the kind of apologetics I can get behind, you know, and I just think it's so important what you guys are doing and you and Monique and your work on racial unity from a biblical place has been, I've been so thankful for that resource and to be able to send people that way. So I'm so grateful for you. And um, it's been fun all these years later. I know. Who knew? (laughs) All these 30 years later, we'd still be sitting here. So I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Take care. God bless. You too. God bless you. All right. Join me in a couple of weeks for part three of my teaching series about the end of the world. We're going to be exploring a lot of scriptures related to the end of God's story, how God's going to wrap everything up and his plans to bring his rule and reign over all creation. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care and God bless. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.